We are going to be um, working through Ephesians this morning. If you're wondering where Ephesians is, okay, it's about, uh, I'd say like four-sixths of the way through your Bible, which anybody know what four-sixths is? <laughs> Two-thirds, okay? It's not halfway, and then if you split that in half, it's not quite there either, but it's, it's around there. So New Testament, towards the end, you go through the four Gospels, Acts, Romans, and there's First and Second Corinthians, and then there's the set of books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, and Ephesians is right in there. It's a letter written by Paul, the apostle, and he wrote it from prison in Rome. So he was in prison when he wrote this letter, and he was writing back to a church in Ephesus, okay? And the church in Ephesus had the unique um, privilege of having Paul there for over three years. He was actually in Ephesus for over three years getting that church started. Um, it's probably the, one of the longest places he, or one of the longest times he ever stayed at a place. He typically was not there that, that long, but he was there for three years in Ephesus. And the book of Ephesians is one of those books that when you read it, it's like, okay, mind-blowing. It's very deep. It's a very deep, theologically rich book. And when you read it, it sounds like somebody who's trying to describe something that he doesn't have vocabulary for. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had an experience or you're trying to describe something that happened and so you use the word like, like a lot? It was like, it was like this and like this and you're trying to describe it and so you have all these adjectives you're throwing around. Well, as you read through the book of Ephesians, Paul uses a lot of descriptive adjectives because he's trying to describe something that's way beyond just our everyday experiences. He's talking about what God is doing in heaven and on earth, and God's doing this amazing plan of his. He's executing it. He's working it for his own purposes, for his own glory, for his own plans, for his own pleasure. And so Paul is trying to describe that. He's trying to describe what is going on, what that looks like, and we get a glimpse of it here in the book of Ephesians. Now let me help you with the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, you could split right in half. Okay, there's chapters 1 through 6 is the whole thing. Okay, so you could split chapters 1 through 3 and then 4 through 6. 1 through 3 is heavy doctrine, okay? And when I use the word doctrine, I'm talking about teaching. It's heavy teaching. And specifically, Paul is talking about what it means to be, and here's the phrase, you ready? In Christ. Okay, we sing a song like in Christ alone. How many of you have sung that song before? Okay. So he's talking about what it means to be in Christ. And it's kind of a strange way to talk about that, right? Um, what does he mean when he says to be in Christ? What he means is to be brought into union or into relationship with Jesus so much so that you're actually one with him. You're one with Jesus. You're brought into relational harmony with him. And actually your connection, your identity becomes one who is in Jesus. Okay. For a believer, for a Christian who's trusted in Jesus Christ, his primary identity is that he is in Jesus Christ. He's hidden in him, okay? Our talents don't define us. Our, our looks don't define us. Um, our, our backgrounds, cultures, languages, heritage, none of that is our primary identification. Our primary identification is that we are in Jesus. And that's what he takes time to discuss in chapters 1 through 3. You in Christ, okay? But then in chapters 4 through 6, he takes the time then to kind of flip that around. And he says, so what does it look like for Christ to be in you? Okay? What does it look like for a believer who is in Jesus Christ, what does it look like for them to live? Because if you're in Christ, then Christ should be flowing out of you, okay? So then he begins to talk in chapters 4, 5, and 6, what does it look like for Christ to, to be flowing out of believers? What does that even look like? And he uses a particular term that we're all, we're all familiar with, and it's the term to walk, okay? Walking is probably one of the most unique, and or not unique, most common 
uh, most shared traits of human beings, right? We walk. We walk places, right? We all walked in here today, okay? We're going to walk around here in a little bit. We're going to walk to our cars. We're going to, we, we walk in our houses. We walk. The idea of walk is how you live your moments. It's your walk of life. It's your lifestyle, okay? And so Paul, in chapter 4, verse 1, he begins to discuss how we ought to be walking, okay? And he's going to do that several times throughout the rest of the chapter. Verses, so 4, verse 1, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. In chapter 4, verse 17, he says this, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. In chapter 5, verse 2, he says, and walk in love, okay, as Christ loved us. In verse, uh, verse 8, he says, walk as children of light. And then in verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, okay? So you see all these different ideas of walking. We're supposed to walk in unity. We're supposed to walk in holiness, which is the section we're going to discuss today, Okay, so walk in unity, walk in holiness, walk in love, walk in light, and walk in wisdom. Those are all the different walks in these latter three chapters of Ephesians. Okay, now I know I'm, doing a, I'm, I'm taking a long time to introduce Ephesians to you, but it's important to kind of understand it before we dive deep, okay? So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to focus in on one of those sections of walking, okay? And it's the second one. So the first one, in the beginning of chapter 4, he says, walk in unity. Unity is really important for the church, okay? It's very important. Disunity is something that, that, that can happen really easily, okay? We can get distracted by things. We can get caught off guard and, and drawn in different directions or begin to fight against one another, and that does not display the beauty of being in Jesus Christ, okay? Because if we're all in Christ, that means we're all together in Christ, and we should be unified and show unity. And that's that first section, but it's not just enough to be unified. You see, a political party could be unified, but a political party is not necessarily moral. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean they're doing right things. You could be unified in doing wrong things. And so in this second section, Paul talks about how we need to walk in holiness. Okay? Now, holiness is not a popular topic to discuss today. Okay? Because... It's talking about what we should do and shouldn't do. And people don't really like to be told what they should do or what they should not do. But we're going we're gonna to talk about this, but we're going we're gonna to do it in the way in which Paul does it. Okay? So let's read this passage together. We're going to read verses 17. And we're just going to go to verse 24 for now. Okay? So we'll read verses 17 to 24. And then I'd like to pray. And then we'll just start walking through those verses and making sure we understand what they mean. Okay? All right, let's, let's, uh, let's read this together. It says, verse 17, chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your former self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." All right, so what we're going to do here, we are going to go back to the very first verse, and here's how I'm going to do this, okay? I don't know if, I don't, you may not be familiar with this style of teaching, but what we're going to do, we're just going to walk verse by verse, and we're going to define the words, and we're going to make sure we understand what those words mean. I'm not even going to tell you my main points, okay, until the very end. So right at the very end, I'm going to say, okay, so what are my main points? Boop, 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 and then we're going to be done, okay? So you won't, it's not like you're going to be like, oh, point one, oh, we're going to talk about that for a few minutes, and oh, point two, we're going to talk about that. We're not going to do that. We're just going to walk through the passage, make sure we understand those words, okay? And then right at the very end, we're going to go, we're going to go okay, so what? <laughs> All right, so what about that? 
and then we're going to see the main points. Does that make sense? All right, so here we go. Verse 17. Paul writing, he says, this I say and testify in the Lord. So let's pause and just talk about that phrase for just a moment, okay? Nothing's odd about that phrase, okay? If someone says, I'm going to tell you something, or hey, I say this, we understand that. But there's an added phrase in there. He doesn't just say, hey, I'm saying this. He says, I say this and testify in the Lord. Hmm, what does that mean? Well, when he says, I testify in the Lord, he's saying, hey, I'm speaking as one who is in Christ, I'm speaking as one who is in Jesus Christ, which, remember, chapters 1 through 3, he was talking about that, what it means to be in Christ. And so he's saying, hey, I'm talking as one who is united to Christ. He's basically saying this, I speak on behalf of Jesus right now. So he's not just saying this is my opinion. Hey, I got this idea about holiness that we're going to talk about. He says, hey, I testify this in the Lord. In other words, I'm saying this and I'm saying this in Jesus Christ. The authority of Jesus is behind me as I talk. Okay? That's what Paul's saying. Look at the next phrase. So he says, I, I say, testify in the Lord. He says, you are to no longer walk. No longer walk. Now, the wording here has the idea of making something a habit. Okay? So, um, how many of you have ever tried to break a bad habit? You ever tried to break a bad habit? Okay, hopefully all of you. <laughs> okay, you tried to break a bad habit. To do that takes a lot of effort, and you almost have to make a new habit to break the old habit, a habit of breaking your habits, <laughs> okay? Here, that's kind of what Paul is saying. Hey, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you on the authority of Jesus, you need to no longer walk in a way that you always were walking before, which is going to take some work, it's going to take some practice, but make it your practice to no longer walk this way, okay? To no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Okay? Now, Gentiles. This is an interesting word. How many of you are very familiar with the word Gentile? Okay, most of us. So, there's Gentiles and there's Jews, right? Jews and Gentiles. And all during the Old Testament period, you wouldn't really ever mix those two together, right? The Jews and Gentiles, you would not mix together. In fact, if you didn't mix them together, that was a negative thing, okay? And those, those people were considered outsiders or outcasts, even during Jesus' day, okay? If you were a, a mixed Jew or a half-breed or something along those lines, you would, they would call you names, right? And uh, you were considered kind of an outsider, a Samaritan, okay? So there was always tension between Jews and between Gentiles, okay? The passage that Brian read this morning for us in chapter 2 tells us something unique about being in Christ, and that is this. When we are in Jesus Christ, I guess I'm, I'm showing, live streaming my shirt. <laughs> when we are in Jesus Christ, okay, Jew and Gentile, those categories, are broken down. They're broken down. In fact, look at, look at chapter 2 again. If you want to flip back over a page, look at verse 15, Okay? So there's this hostility, right? There's this hostility at the end of verse 14. So let's look at, sorry, let's start at verse 14. It says this, for he himself is our peace. Oh, peace. Who has made us both, both, there's two, there's Jew and Gentile. He made us both one and has broken down his flesh, broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now listen to this next phrase. That he might create... In himself, there's being in Jesus, okay, one new man in the place of two. Did you catch that? So, Jesus, when he came and died on the cross, he was making one new man in the place of two, Jew and Gentile. Okay, so, here's something interesting. So, if I was to ask you, are you all a Jew or are you a Gentile today? Okay, probably you would have said Gentile. But actually, according to this text, you were created a new man. He made out of Jew and Gentile a new creation, right? So what are you? You're a Christian. That's actually your primary identity. So he uses that same idea then back in chapter 4 when he says this, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, okay? You see what he did there? He's saying, don't walk then as the Gentiles walk. Now, He's going to say something next. Look at the next phrase. It says this, 
Don't walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. In the futility of their minds. Now, what he's doing is he's giving us this kind of broad brush statement. He's saying that all the Gentiles, those people who are not believers, who are not Christians, they walk in the futility of their minds. It's like a really broad brush statement. It's a categorical statement. Okay. What does that even mean? <laughs> what does it mean to walk in the futility of your mind? What does that word futility mean? Any ideas? What is futility? Okay, worthless. Yeah. We get, we get an idea of this word futility a few times in the Bible. There's actually three different times in the New Testament uh, that it's mentioned. And the idea is it's, something, it's like striving after something that cannot be attained. Okay? How many of you have ever tried to catch the wind? Have you ever tried to catch that? You can't, you can't do it, can you? It's an impossibility. You can't, you can't catch the wind. You can't somehow, you could try all you want, but it's going to be unattainable, isn't it? And you would never really know if you caught it. Oh, I, I caught it, right? Um, here's another good illustration. So yesterday, my kids were playing with some soap bubbles, right? A soap bubble looks really nice and shiny on the outside. It's like, oh, look at that. It looks like it's just so full of substance. Look at that beautiful, that beautiful sphere floating. There must be a whole other world inside of it, and you go to reach to it, and you kind of touch it, and pfft, it's gone. You can never really get inside the bubble, can you? You can never really can attain what's there because it just kind of vanishes in front of you once you actually go to get it. So here's this idea of futility. Now, it says the Gentiles are walking in the futility or frustration of trying to live according to their own mind, okay? But their mind isn't working, okay? Their mind isn't working. Have you ever tried to do something, but you were, like, functionally not able to do it, okay? Um, maybe, maybe it's one of those, um, I remember as a kid, you know, you, you, you put your hand down, you know, you're going to trace your hand, okay? Or have you ever done those drawings where you're supposed to look at something, memorize it in your brain, then close your eyes and try to draw it on a piece of paper without looking. You're like trying to draw, trying to draw. And you look at the piece of paper and it's like, well, that is not what I thought I was drawing. Okay. The futility of your mind is this idea. God created our minds and he created Adam and Eve. He created them, them good, right? He created them perfect. Their minds worked great. After the fall though, after the curse, Romans says that even creation was subject to futility. Okay. After the curse, and the idea is, is that our brains no longer work the way they should. So what was our mind created for? Our mind was created to observe creation, to see the world around us, to see the revelation of God and to know him and then to glorify him and to live our life with the right conclusions about who God is and who I am. But the futility of our mind means that, that no matter how much we think and try, we never come to those right conclusions. In other words, this idea of the futility of your mind, it's talking about this unattainable end, this frustrating process, okay? Um, in 2 Peter, this word, the same word futility, is used about the false prophets, the false prophets who were uttering loud boasts about everything that was going to be promised to them. And yet, Peter calls them waterless clouds, okay? In other words, oh, here comes rain, here comes rain, here comes rain, here comes... It didn't rain. It didn't rain. There was no substance in them. Okay? Same concept here of our mind. If, if we're trying to live in the power of our own mind, and in particular, our fallen mind, and, the, and we use our reasoning processes, we might be really smart. You might have like two PhDs, but guess what? That doesn't mean that you won't live according to the futility of your own mind. Now, the word mind there so futility is that frustration, the idea of not being able to accomplish its purpose, um, kind of ends in kind of a worthless striving after wind. But the word mind there is referring to kind of a disposition or a moral attitude, okay? The idea is that they can't come to right conclusions. How important is that? If you're trying to map out the way in which you should walk in your life, and yet your end conclusion is totally wrong, are you going to go the right way? No, you're not. You're not at all. And that's what's going on here with the Gentiles. 
The Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Now, if you're like me, you want to you know why. <laughs> why do they walk in the futility of their own mind? And that's actually where Paul goes next, okay? In the next verse, he says this, they are darkened in their understanding, okay? They're darkened in their understanding. This idea of darkened is like spiritual darkness, okay? In Romans chapter 1, let me read this verse to you. If you want to turn there, you can, but you don't need to. We could flip back and forth between Romans 1 and Ephesians 4 a lot because there's some parallel passages here. But Romans chapter 1, verse 21, listen to this. It says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. Okay? So because they didn't want God to be God, they then, came, they then come to wrong conclusions about who they are and how they should be living their life. Okay? So that their understanding is darkened. It says in verse 21, it says, they become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay, spiritual darkness. Now, going back to Ephesians. So it says, they are darkened in their understanding. Okay, what do we mean by understanding? Again, we've kind of talked about this already, but the calculations formed by the thinking mind. Again, it doesn't mean they're not thinking. It doesn't mean they're not smart. It doesn't mean they cannot do math better than you or understand science better than you or those types of things. But what it means is that their ability to come to the right conclusions about God and about themselves is darkened. Okay, they, they don't have that ability. They're foolish. Excuse me, they're, they are darkened in their understanding. And then listen to this, alienated from the life of God. Whew, that's such a strong statement alienated from the life of God. You know what it means to be alienated? Yeah, it means like rejected, pushed aside, ostracized, isolated. You've probably felt that before, right? You know what it's like to be in a room and, and, and be the only one that nobody knows or be the odd, the odd one there and kind of feeling out of place? You're alienated from the group. Well, what Paul's saying here is that the Gentiles, in the way in which they walk, they're actually alienated, they're rejected, they're pushed away from the life of God. Alienated from the life of God. They're separated from the life of God. Now, when he says life of God, what does he mean by life of God? Again, do you kind of see what I'm doing here? I'm just going phrase by phrase, word by word. I want us to see the meanings here, okay? Alienated is excluded from life. He's not just talking about like a virtuous life. He's literally talking about the realm of living or the realm of the dead. So Gentiles, okay, who are walking in the futility of their mind, they're actually living in the realm of the dead. They don't even have life. Wow, that's such a strong statement, okay? And so Paul is telling us, he's saying, hey, you believers, don't live like that. Don't walk as if you don't have life. Don't walk as if you don't have the life that God gives, okay? Alienated from the life of God. Wow. Okay. Again, there's a parallel in Romans chapter 1. We won't necessarily take the time to read through all of that. Now, listen, he goes on to say this. They're alienated from the life of God, and then he gives you a, a because. Ah, I like becauses because they tell me, you know, they kind of give me the sequence. Because of the ignorance that is in them. Now, this is, very, this is a very interesting phrase, okay, because of the ignorance that is in them. Do we blame, do we blame somebody who, who's not familiar with an area who doesn't have a map for getting lost? No, because they don't have the information, right? They didn't have a map. They didn't know the way. But that information is all external to them. It's something outside of them. They just need the information, and if they had the information, they could make the right choices. This ignorance is not that type of ignorance. It says due to the ignorance that is in them, not outside of them, is the ignorance that is in them. In other words, this is, this is like somebody who, who sees the right way, but then decides to act as if they didn't know that. Okay, due to the ignorance that is in them, it's something inside of them. They haven't been awakened. They haven't been made alive. They haven't been given, you might say, um, what do we pray? We pray the Spirit would illumine, right? Illumining their minds. 
helping them to understand. So they're alienated from the life of God. Why? Due to the ignorance that is actually inside of them. Okay? So this is not a case of, hey, if they just had the right information, they'd make the right choices. That's not it. There's something even deeper going on here. Okay? Let's keep, let's keep reading. So, in the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And then look at this last phrase. Due to their hardness of heart. Wow. This is such a powerful statement. Due to the hardness of their heart. Now, We all know what it is like to have a hard heart because we've all had hard hearts at different times to different things, right? Have you ever known the right thing to do, but you really just don't want to do it? So much so that you kind of put your heels down and you resist. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go that way, right? And you resist it. That's what he's talking about here. There's a hardness of their heart, a stubbornness and a willful resistance to what's going on. So, now, I know we just spent a lot of time on that verse, and there's a lot of phrases, so you can kind of get lost in the, like, all the phrases. So the best way that I would say to really make sure you understand this phrase is to read it backwards, okay? So read it backwards with me. Look what it says. It basically go like this, okay? The hardness of the Gentile's heart has led to an ignorance that is in them that alienates them from the life of God, which supports or abets their darkened understanding and results in a futile pursuit of life's meaning and moral compass. Okay? Do you kind of follow that? Okay? So there's the hardness of heart that's led to an ignorance that's inside of them that alienates them from the life of God, which then supports the darkening that's happening to them so that then they make foolish choices because, and they walk in the futility of their mind because they don't come to right conclusions about God and about life. Now, that's verse 17 and verse 18. And really what he's describing there is the state of the Gentiles. This is what they're like. This is their nature. Now in the next verse, he's going to go on and talk about their actions. So not just their nature, but now he's going to go on and talk about their actions. Look at verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Let's quickly go through this verse. So, after stating the Gentiles' nature, he goes on to describe their practices. Okay? They have become callous. This is the idea of a moral apathy. It's this idea of who cares? Whatever. I don't care anymore. Have you ever gotten to a place like that before? I'm just tired of fighting. I'm tired of doing the right thing. I'm tired of striving. Who cares? Whatever. Who really cares if I do this? This is the kind of the callousness attitude in which they start approaching their actions. Whatever, who cares? Okay? But then in that attitude, with this idea of who cares, they actually give themselves over to sinful choices. When it says they've given themselves over, literally it's themselves yielding into and giving themselves over to these sinful choices. Romans 1.24 talks about how God gives people up. It says God gives them over to their futile thinking and their lustful pleasures and things of that sort. God gives them over to the sinful living. In this passage, though, we find that they do it. They've given themselves over. Now, the word sensuality carries this idea of indecency. It's unstrained desires. It's, it's, like, it's like you don't even care, you don't care, and you don't care so much that you're willing to just do whatever you want to do, even in public, right? Kind of this indecent, it's, it's, it's you don't care about making a scene, right? Yelling and chewing somebody out in public and just, because you're just, who cares? Whatever. Ah, let them have it. Okay? So this idea of the sensuality, it's not just sexual, but it's unstrained desires. Okay? And it says this, to practice every kind of impurity. Practice, again, that idea of practice kind of connotates this idea that they're making a career out of it. Okay? They're doing this a lot. They're making an occupation out of practicing, out of doing every kind of impurity. Now, when he talks about every kind of impurity, okay, impurity has the idea of vileness or filthiness, okay? And then every kind of impurity means that there are more kinds of impurity than just se sexual Im impurity, okay? So, the Gentiles, they've given themselves over because they're, they have, they're, they're insensitive, they don't care, right? Whatever. So they have a moral apathy. 
They give themselves over to, to unrestrained desires to begin practicing every type of impurity. But then it goes on, there's one more word. It says with greediness, right? Or in some versions it says greedy to practice. This idea of greediness is covetousness. It's this idea of I want more. I want more, okay? Have you ever just wanted more of something? Okay? If you, if, if you have like an investment portfolio or you have something in the stock market and you're looking at the stock market and the little lines are going down, 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 you're just kind of like, oh. And then it starts going up, 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 and you're like, oh, I want more, more. Yeah, keep going up, keep going up, keep going up, right? I want more, more, more. The Gentile is somebody who wants more and more of their own pleasures and their own pursuits and their own desires. They just want more for themselves. They have an insatiable desire for themselves. They're consumed about themselves. You know what I mean like that? Could be you, right? Could be that you kind of are like, ooh, sounds like he's describing me. And I would just say this. If, if as we're going through this, you're like, that's me. I'm frustrated. I feel like my whole life is striving after wind. I feel like my whole life is just this futile pursuit of what I want and my pleasures, and it just turns up empty every time. If that's you, then it might be that you actually need Jesus, and you need to be brought into a relationship with Jesus so that you can begin to think rightly about God and rightly about yourself. Then you'll make wise decisions. Then you'll have a purpose to your life and a purpose that isn't thwarted because God's the one behind it and nobody can thwart God's purposes. So it could be if you're here this morning and you're sitting there going, man, as he's talking about those things, those things are me. Like, I, I'm consumed with those things. Well, then I would encourage you to pay really close attention to the next verse, okay, into the next section. Because the next section goes into what changes about a believer, Right? What changes? But before we get to what changes, how many of you like going to the ocean? You like going to the ocean? Okay. The beach? Some of you are like, nope. Sunburn, sand? Eh. Okay. Sitting on the beach, and what do you hear? And you hear those waves as they kind of lap up on the ocean. And if you're near a seawall of any kind where there's rocks, you can hear those waves come up and just crash. And it's just this constant crashing. You know what those, have you ever heard the waves talk? And you're like, oh boy, this guy's cuckoo. <laughs> they talk to each other, right? They talk and they, they, they say, you can hear them all the way out, in the, out, out like about 100 yards out. You hear this time, this time, this time. This time I'll rise up and out of these restrictions, I'll break free of the bounds of the ocean and I'll get out, I'll escape and And what happens? They go back into the ocean, back into their boundaries. You know, the ocean has been doing that ever since God created it. And you know what? Ever since the fall of mankind, mankind has been thinking in futile ways, always thinking, always scheming, always planning, to somehow escape the bonds of God, somehow escape the rule of God, and maybe, maybe one day I'll just break out on my own and I'll find my own meaning and my own existence and my own purpose. Woohoo! The Disney life will really happen. And you know what? There's a crash against the seawall, and everything comes back to how it was. It's a futile attempt to live life apart from God. And that's the life of the Gentile. That's the life of the Gentile. So let's, let's look now into the next verse because we see something amazing that happens, okay? Verse 20, it says, but. It's a very crucial word. But that is not the way you learned Christ. That is not the way you learned Christ. Now, we usually don't use the word learned and Christ together. You would learn a language, right? You would learn a culture. You'd learn a, a skill set. But to say you learned Christ, what is that? Huh? that's a little bit strange. In fact, it's the only time it's used like this in the Bible, okay? He says, you have not learned Christ. 
But then he goes on to explain what that means, right? He's going to tell us exactly what he means by that. Look at it. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard, you hear that? That's the ears. You've heard about him and were taught in him. Now, actually, what I want you to pay attention to real quickly are those prepositions, okay? Oh, man, this English class is killing me, okay? It says this, assuming that you've heard about him, okay? Heard about him. How many of you have heard about Jesus, okay? What did you need to hear about Jesus? You needed to hear that Jesus was the God-man, okay? That Jesus was, is God with us, Emmanuel, who came to this earth, and he lived a perfect and sinless life. You needed to hear that. You needed to hear that about Jesus, okay? You needed to hear that you are a sinner who needs Jesus, who needs the perfect one. You also needed to hear that Jesus was willing to come and take your place. He was willing to come and, and be sacrificed, killed on a cross, so that you could live. You needed to hear that. Have you heard about Jesus? Have you heard the gospel, the good news about him, that Jesus came, took your sin, died so that he could pay life to you? He could give you life and give you forgiveness. You need to hear that. That's the good news about Jesus. That's the gospel. Well, Paul says, hey, that's not how you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him. Have you heard the good news of the gospel? But then he goes on, he says, not just heard about him, but he says, and were taught in him. Ah, you see that? There's a difference between being taught about him and being taught in him. You see, in him is that idea of being brought into union with Jesus. So what he's going to be talking about here in just a moment is what it means to be brought into a life-giving, real relationship with Jesus Christ, okay? And that's absolutely important if you've really learned Christ, okay? So, you don't need to live in the, feudal, in the feudal ways of your thinking because that's not how you learn Jesus, assuming that you've heard the gospel, you've heard about him, and that you've been taught in him. What is being taught in him? Well, what were you taught in him? Well, let's continue the verse. It says this, you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. That's another little phrase, okay? The truth is in Jesus, but what is the truth that we've been taught? He's going to start telling you that now in the next verse. You ready? Here it is, verses 22, 23, and 24 are three points. Okay, now these are not my main points. We're still going through the verses. We're going to be done here in a little bit, though. The first thing you were taught is this, that you've put off the old man, okay? That you have put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Now, all three of those words, again, the English lesson, are infinitives, which means you can put 2B in front of it, which is why it says that, that, you, that you were taught to put off, okay? to put off your old man. But do you know what that is? That's actually talking about a past. It's a past tense. So what were you taught in Christ when you were taught in him and you've learned in him? First of all, that at that point, when you believed in Jesus Christ, you actually put off the old self. This is something that's already happened to you if you're in Jesus Christ. You put it off. You put off that old self. He's gone. The old man, Paul says, Paul says, you know, I've been crucified with Christ. And now the life I live, I don't live in me. I actually live by the grace of the Son of God because I was crucified with Christ. That happened to me in the past. That's what's happened here. It happened in the past, okay? So to put off the old self, and then he describes the old self. And you know what it sounds just like? It sounds just like the Gentile way of living, which actually that's exactly what it is, right? To put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of living and is corrupt through deceitful desires, Okay? That former way of living was corrupted through deceitful desires. You were deceived by your own desires all the time and you just wanted what you wanted. And you thought that was the best. So Paul says this, hey, if you've been taught in Christ, if, you have, if you've heard about him and if you've been taught in him, then you actually were united to Jesus and that old self, well, it's been done away with. You put it off. It's like changing your clothes. Changing your clothes. Remember that, that picture. We'll talk about that in just a moment, okay? The second thing he says, verse 23. By the way, I'm, I'm speeding up <laughs> for time's sake. I don't want to keep you guys here too long, okay? Verse 23. It says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now, this one is a present tense. It's interesting. 
The first one and the last one, the one we're getting ready to go to, are all past tense. They happen in the past. This one is a present tense. To be continued all the time. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. But do you know what it also is? It's not active. It's passive. In other words, you don't renew yourself. You become renewed. How does that happen? So I don't renew myself. You know, I got to fix myself up. I got to renew myself. No, no, no. You actually are renewed by God. You're renewed by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is the one that renews you. Do you guys remember the story in John chapter 4? There is a lady who comes to a well, and she's thirsty, right? And Jesus goes and meets her, talks to her, and we find out she's not just a lady at the well who's thirsty. She's the woman at the well who has some serious issues in her life, right? She's got some serious moral issues in her life. And she's embarrassed about all her sin. And she asked Jesus for a drink, or Jesus asked her for a drink. And then the conversation flips. And Jesus says, you should be asking me for a drink. And she's like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, come full circle, she finds out that Jesus can offer her life. She was before alienated from the life of God. But Jesus can offer her life. And he tells her this. He says, if you drink from the water I can give you, it will become inside of you a spring welling up unto eternal life. You have that picture in your mind? Have a spring that just wells up, right? That spring that purifies, that spring that overwhelms, that spring that brings sustenance and refreshment. It's a life given by the Holy Spirit. Now, Looking really quickly, flip over back to Ephesians chapter 1, because I want you to see this, that I'm not just making this up, okay? Ephesians 1, verse 13. We're going to hear a similar type phrase. He says this, he says, in him, that's in Jesus, you also, when you heard, oh, there's that hearing again, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and, are you ready, believed in him, there's the in him again. Okay, so when you heard the gospel and you believed in him, what does he say? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You were given the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is the one who takes the word of God. He takes the fellowship of the people of God, okay? And he renews your mind. And if your mind has been renewed, you can now think correctly and come to right conclusions about God and about life. It takes the renewal of the mind, and it takes a continued renewal, continual. That spring never ceases. It continues to wash away the impurities. It continues to just make the person clean, and it happens by having their mind renewed. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, let's finish up here. Verse 23, excuse me, verse 24. And, and here's the third thing, to put on the new self. This is, again, something to happen in the past. So, that new self is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. To put on is to clothe oneself. Believers were taught in Christ that when they laid aside the old person, they put on the new person. This means that you cannot be a believer and an unbeliever at the same time. Now, a little story for us as we wrap things up. When I was in high school, I went to, uh, I went to Kansas. So I'm, I'm, I was from Denver, Colorado. That's where I grew up. And we went on this little trip to Kansas, and uh, this family had a whole bunch of four-wheelers, and they let a bunch of us drive their four-wheelers in this back property where they had, right? And it had rained, and there were puddles and mud puddles everywhere, and it was a blast. I've had, there, there are a few things that I've had as much fun as when I did this, so we jumped on these four-wheelers, and we're just cruising around, flying. It was very dangerous, too. I probably didn't realize how dangerous it was, but we're just flying around on these little back hill, you know, trails and things like that. Well, we come to this big, huge puddle. Do I slow down for the puddle? Oh, no. No, I'm a teenager. So I'm like, let's just go at it. So I go full speed as, as fast as I can, and I hit this puddle, and I'm telling you, I did not realize that the puddle wasn't just water. It was just mud. And when I hit that, a wall of mud just went right up in front of me, and I just passed through it, okay? And I was just completely caked in mud, totally caked in mud. We all get back to the house. We make our way back, 
and I find out that I'm not the only one that got caked in mud. Almost all of us are caked in mud. So we hop off the four-wheelers. We're coming back onto this little patio that they had under this, you know, at, at the back of their house. And uh, what are we going to do? We need to change clothes. Well, the lady had just gotten brand new white plush carpet on her floor. Okay? And as soon as she saw us, she was like, oh, no, 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 no. And she ran down there. She's like, you are not coming in my house looking like that. No way. Go to the hose, hose off. You are not coming in here. But the reality was the mud was so caked on, we needed to actually change clothes in order to get clean. Now, why did I tell you that story? Because here's the thing. The imagery here that Paul is using is the idea of taking off and putting on. Okay? So, he's saying, when you learned Jesus, okay, you heard about him, and then you were taught in him. So, when you went to the school of Jesus, when you went to the school of Christ, you learned that you took off the filthy clothes of your old self, the corrupt, futile way of thinking, the defiance against God, the ignorance that was in you, all of that. You removed all of that. You took it off, and you put on the new self which was created in Christ Jesus. And it's righteous, and it's holy, and the righteousness and holiness don't come from deceitful desires, they come from the truth, which is what he says. Look how he says it. And put on the new self created in the likeness of God in, and it says this, true righteousness and holiness, or the idea is this, holiness and righteousness that come from truth. So, What's the big point? What's the main point of everything we've just read through? Okay? We just, we just took some time to go through phrases and, and verses and words to try to really understand what Paul is saying. So now let's zoom back out again and let's ask this question. So what? Okay, so now I understand the phrases, I understand the words, I understand the verses. So what? What's Paul going for here? Well, here it is. The next, next slide here. The idea is this. The gospel of Jesus Christ brings about radical change. Radical change and transformation. Which will beg the question, if as you view your own life, as you're looking at yourself, which I recommend not doing for too long before you look at Jesus, okay? He's the one we need to look at the most. But if as you're looking inside, you're kind of, you're kind of doing some self-evaluation, if you see in your own heart a constant, futile way of living, it could be that you need to come to the school of Jesus, the school of Christ, and learn him. Hear the gospel, and then be taught in Christ that you've put off that way of living, you've put on the new self, and you're constantly renewed by that life-giving word of God and the spirit of God, and your mind is renewed continually. It could be that. However, one thing I want to draw our attention to, and you can go to the next slide, Paul wouldn't tell us, don't walk that way, if there wasn't a possibility that you might. My dad used to tell me these things all the time. He'd, my dad had a way of stating the obvious. He'd, he'd tell me, he'd say, uh, Josh, why did God command that? And I'd be like, because uh, he wanted to. <laughs> and he'd say, he commands it because you don't naturally do it. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, obviously. <laughs> the idea is this. You can, even as a believer, stumble back into a futile way of living. You can stumble back into a futile way of living where you're living according to your fleshly passions, your fleshly lusts, okay? And you can be deceived by your sinful passions, your sinful lusts. How many of you have been deceived by your sinful passions before? My hand is up. We all have. That's why this is a command to no longer walk like the Gentiles, which means we as Christians, if you're a believer today, you have come to the school of Christ. You know Jesus Christ. You've put on that new self. You put off that old self. Well, then part of the renewal process is that you are saying, okay, I no longer want to walk that way, and I want to make it a habit. I want to make it my lifestyle that I no longer walk that way. You can go to the next slide. It means you need to continue, continue to avail yourself to every means of spiritual renewal. How does God renew our minds? How does he renew our minds? Verse 23, it's by you getting into the word. It's by you being with God's people. 
It's by you obeying and, and, and doing what you know God wants you to do, okay? Those are, those are means of renewal. God has given us means of grace, right? Means of renewal where we're constantly able to have our mind renewed. It's not, it's not something we have to renew ourselves. No, but if we'll expose ourselves to the means of renewal, God will actually transform us. He will actually change us. Okay, I think there's one more slide. So how does this fit within the whole picture of, the, of, of Ephesians? Live in a manner worthy of the gospel. If you've heard of Jesus, if you've heard the gospel, then you need to live in a, ma- in a, a way that reflects that. Okay? Does your life reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ? Does it look like you've been taught? In closing, what I'd like to do as we end up here, I'm just going to read through verses 25 to 32, and then we'll be done. Why I'm going to read through these verses is because what Paul then does is he illustrates what this looks like. It's beautiful. I don't even have to go through and explain specific application to you because Paul does it for us. Look at verse 25. He says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, having taken off falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? For we are members one of another. Okay, you see what he did there? He said, so take off, (laughs) put on, and here's why, the renewal aspect. You're members one of another. Look at the next one. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Okay? In other words, make sure that you are not allowing anger and sinfulness, sinful anger to actually dwell in you. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal. Okay? Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone who has need. You see the, you see the, the, different there, the difference in motivation? The, steal, the, the thief just wants more, wants more. He's taking, he's taking. The person who has put on Christ, he says, you know what, let me actually work so that I have to give to those who are in need. Let, verse 29, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hears, to hear. Your speech can help build up and renew other people. So take off the old way of talking, filthy speech, and put on the new way, building up speech. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. What should you put on then? Well, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave It's a beautiful picture, okay? The gospel transforms in a dramatic way. Have you experienced that transformation? If you haven't, and you need to come to know Jesus today, then please come talk with me afterwards, okay? I'd love to share with you how you can know Jesus and be taught in him to put off the old self, to be renewed in your mind, and to put on the new self. Let's pray.